What's going on, everybody? If you're looking for a film to watch with the family this weekend, check out Sincerely Brenda. You can go to Amazon Prime Video and search Sincerely Brenda. It's a great story about forgiveness and redemption. Welcome to Life Beyond the Left. And now your house, my daddy, Kenneth Nelson. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Life Beyond the Lens. I'm your host, Ken Nelson, and on today's episode, I'm so happy to have Eunice Smith, who is the founder of the Wordsmith Writers Lab, on the show today. Eunice, how are you doing? I'm good this morning. Ken, how are you? I am great. I'm great. So it's morning for you, and it's night for it me. Is. So this is a funny story. <laughs> you know, it's recording this at 10 o'clock, and it is about 7.30 your time, right? That's right. I'm in the Middle East right now. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I, I we're going to get into what you what you do, and and I just you know when I looked at your your work, um, I love what you're doing for um, screenwriters in the industry. I love your approach to it, and we're going to talk about that. Um, we're going to get into all that. But first, um, you you have a very interesting background. Um, you <laughs> didn't start out in the film industry. So so right. so talk a little bit about like your trajectory, I guess your journey um, to this point. Sure. Well, um, this is a common question because my background professionally is in software. I have a master's in information systems business degree. I didn't go the creative route at all. But um, what many people don't realize is that I wrote my first book when I was six years old. But I completely went sidestepped the creative route because where I grew up, um, it was a disadvantaged neighborhood. And on career day from kindergarten all the way up through high school, when they said, what did you want to be? Everything was an acceptable path except a creative path. You, you better not say artist or writer, right? We knew about Maya Angelou. We knew about Langston Hughes. We, we watched them and studied them during Black History Month, like all Black kids did. But nobody ever said, and you can do this too. Like they were an anomaly as opposed to the norm. So you could be a doctor, lawyer, teacher, preacher, scientist, you know, any of those things, but writer was never one of them. So I did the traditional thing. I went to college, I got the degree and I moved into the corporate arena and I was always tiptoeing around writing and I was, I was always writing personally. Um, but then in 2016, life kind of threw the eight ball and it hit me directly in the face. Both of my parents um, were, were sick with cancer and that forced me to rethink life literally. And during that whole process, um, corporate America divorced me and I decided not to remarry. And so I, I just kind of went out like it was like 2016. I started the Wordsmith Writers Lab. It went by a different name at the time. There's been a whole evolution. I won't bore you with that. But um, I just started to really get back into what I enjoyed doing. And those are two things, both writing and kind of encouraging and training and coaching others. Um, because in my corporate career, I was a performance coach. I managed global teams, um, worked all over the world. And I had official training as someone who um, learned to not only manage performance, but also kind of pull the best out of people. So I took my passion of writing and my corporate skill set and merged the two. And that's what became what we now know as the Wordsmith Writers Lab. I started out 
just wanting to help people improve their stories by working as an editor. And I quickly learned that the problem wasn't fixing the story. The problem was knowing what goes into the story to begin with. And so as I started to get more into where the problem, because I'm also um, Lean Six Sigma certified, what that means is I am certified to identify the root cause of problems and then streamline issues and all that kind of scientific nerdy stuff, no words. But in any case, again, applying my corporate background to the creative space, when I was editing stories, whether it was a script or a novel or a short story, whatever the case might be, the same themes started to emerge. And I realized the problem was much deeper than just fixing grammar and just trying to change typos in the story. I recognized very quickly that many writers, because they did not go to film school, they did not get MFAs and things like that, really didn't understand story structure. And so I went from trying to fix the stories at the end, because you know, you know the, um, the parable it says, or the phrase says, it's easier to, um, it's harder to fix a broken man than it is to raise one in the right way. So just kind of taking that same mindset to writing, it's easier or it's probably better, more beneficial to us as a whole if we learn story structure and then how to apply it as opposed to kind of going off on our own, doing it wrong, committing to doing it wrong, and then having someone come in and tell us our baby is ugly. Nobody wants to be told their baby is ugly. So rather than having to deliver this bad news, well, not only is your baby ugly, it's not going to make it in the world. Like nobody's going to want to talk to your baby. Nobody's going to want to be friends with your baby. <laughs> rather than having to deliver that message, I said, hey, let's figure out how to do this right the first time. I want to go back. Um, you said 2016. Uh, you said you were you were um, let go and both your parents um, had cancer. Yeah, it was a long yeah, it was a long journey. So 2015, my dad um, was diagnosed. He passed away in 2016. At the same time, my mother was struggling with her own battle. We lost her last year. But it was um, during that time period that I came to really understand just how dispensable I was as a human resource. And so when things started to get rough between myself and the job, like, you know, they've got the, um, all of the things that they tell you are the protections you have when you need to take off for family or emergencies, all BS, all BS. There are loopholes and I can't go into it for legal, legal reasons, but let me just tell you that I came to realize that I meant absolutely nothing in the space where that had become my whole world, right? It was, it was my means of supporting myself and my family. It was how I defined my self-worth because I got a master's degree. I got this position. I make six figures. I'm, you know, all these accolades and resume out. Oh my God, off the charts, wonderful resume. But I meant so little to them at a time when I needed them so much. And that was a wake up call that I can't, I, I could not force myself to go back into a situation where I was made to feel so small at a time when my world was literally crashing down around me. So a lot of people, you know, that's a lot of, um, at once to handle. 
I, I just want to know for people listening to this, like that may be struggling, mm-hmm. basically. How did you pull yourself out of that? Well, I, I'm going to tell you the truth, Ken. I crashed. Emotionally, mentally, I crashed. I was already doing what I was doing in terms of because I had a plan. I had a plan that I said, I'm going to start my business as a side hustle while I work this nine to five. And my my employer is going to be my first investor because I'm going to take my paychecks and I'm going to invest it in my business. And it's going to be, you know, I had this very smooth trajectory. I knew exactly the way it was going to go. So the business was already being stood up. But when that rug was snatched from under me, it was like, oh, crap. And I'm, I'm trying not to curse because I want to know. I know I, I don't want to you know offend your audience, but it was like. You know the word I want to use, but it was like, oh, crap. Now I'm at the bottom. You know, they say started from the bottom. Now we're here. I'm like, no, I start. I'm at I started at the top. Now I'm at the bottom. That was a complete like it was a shock. It was a not only was it a, a, a shock to my system, a shock to my ego. It was also I was offended. You know what I'm saying? So I started out mad. But like I said, I crashed. And when I realized I was at the bottom. I'm like, okay, if this ain't as bad as I thought, once I let it go, you know, once I healed from being pissed off and hurt and feeling abused and mistreated and all those things that we know the corporate arena can make us feel, I just kind of reassessed the opportunity in front of me because I had two choices. Okay, you don't have a job. You got this business that you're trying to stand up. You got two choices. You can go back to a job because, like I said, resume off the charts, 20 plus years in what I do. Or you can do what you really were trying to do in the first place. And at first, Ken, I tried to find another job. Couldn't find a single position. Could not get a single interview. That's how you know God is saying, no, not doing that. Right. So I just had to really be obedient to what what I was being told in my spirit, like, that's not where you belong. And I'd had all the signs before, but I was afraid because there's nothing like knowing you can slack off and still get that full paycheck in two weeks. <laughs> there's, there's no better security. But then the question became, how much are you going to give up? How much are your dreams, are your dreams really worth? Right? So I was already on the struggle bus. And I said, I'm gonna ride this Heifer till the wheels fall off. I'm already down. I'll be okay. Like if this is the worst as it at the, the worst as it gets, then I'm okay. You know. So I just leaned in and I talked to my family. Of course, family support or some support structure is critical because I'm telling you, there are nights I cried. There are nights I threw stuff. I wanted to give up. I felt like this is stupid. Why me? I mean, I I went through the whole gamut of negative emotions like it's a hamster wheel and i just said to hell with this i gotta do something different or i don't have to even struggle i can go back to corporate but then i kept on looking at it like like that toxic ex-boyfriend like he got a lot of money but he don't treat me right (laughs) (laughs) and i couldn't go back to it so what did you see like the scriptwriter's lab being it's, it's the wordsmith. I'm sorry. What did you see the wordsmith lab being that kept you going 
You know, um, well, you said you were a visionary at the beginning of the, at the beginning of this. We were talking offline. Yeah, sure. So I I can't talk about the vision without talking about my best my business bestie, Leslie Martinez. So she and I were working together on a separate business venture when I decided to further evolve the Wordsmith Writers Lab because it started off as I had several other business names that were horrible. <laughs> I won't even entertain you with that, but. When I talked to her about what I, the problem I was trying to solve, she helped me form formulate that solution into a model that was better a, a better delivery model. And by that, what I mean is I wanted to solve the problem at the root, at the heart. So I recognized, kind of like in the industry, like the uh, self-publishing market, what was happening in filmmaking is that movies became easier and less expensive to produce. That means anybody with an iPhone, with a good camera, and the mindset to put a few words down on paper, they could create a movie. Now they're a filmmaker. And that's great. That's wonderful because we need that level of autonomy to express ourselves without so many gatekeepers and without so many barriers. But the negative or the flip side of that, because I don't like to categorize things as negative. But the flip side of that was that now we no longer have the gatekeepers that make sure what's coming out is good. And across the board, if you watched 20 short films and you read 100 scripts, the issues were always the same. We didn't understand structure. We didn't understand story form. We struggle with script mechanics. So we might know what a montage was. We might know what dialogue was, but we didn't really understand the purpose of dialogue within a script. So we are doing too much, not doing enough. We understood what story is, but not how it shows up in act one, act two, act three, and the resolution and the climax and tension and resolving tension and all those elements that make a good movie a good movie. So again, not wanting to be the person to look at the problem and tell people that they have a problem. I like to start at the beginning of the cycle and, or the beginning of the process and say, here are your inputs because garbage in is garbage out. You come into it wrong, whatever you come out with on the other side is going to be bad, right? The reality is, and, and I've heard many, many um, celebrities in the film industry say, you can take a good script and make it bad, but you can't take a bad script and make it good. Um, like you can take a, a good script and you throw the wrong actors in there. You have the wrong director. The DP doesn't light it properly. You can take a good story and it turns out to be a bad movie. But if you have a bad story, if the script sucks, it doesn't matter. You can have Denzel Washington and Viola Davis and the best lighting and the best DP, you know, best directors. Everybody can be excellent and it's still going to be a bad story. And so that became my mission to help writers tell better stories. And, and as a matter of fact, I got, you know, as I stopped playing small, now my goal is to empower and activate 10,000 writers over the next 10 years to tell at least one story each. If, if 10,000 people told one powerful story, and I don't mean we have to be, you know, it can be in any genre, you know, horror, comedy, romance, it doesn't really matter. But if we raise the stakes among ourselves 
and we have the tools that go along with those higher stakes, think about the impact it could have on the industry. And that's what I decided to focus the Wordsmith Writers Lab on is how to tell powerful stories from the very beginning so that we don't have to worry about, is this good enough? Will people like it? Will people watch it? People will gravitate, gravitate toward it because it's a good story, right? And if we learn how to tell good stories, nobody can stop us. And so that's that's why I'm I'm kind of um I'm hell bent on making this work now. So um we we we've all heard of writer's block, right? So yes. we know what the definition of writer's block is, but give me I'll be interested to hear if you have your own definition of what you think writer's block is. There's no such thing as writer's block. And there are things that stop us from writing. So don't get me wrong. But this monstrosity, this nebulous thing that we call writer's block, it's a myth. It does not exist the way that we've been taught to believe it does. And why do I say that? I know that's such a bold statement. But again, remember my background is in root cause analysis. And, and that means get to the heart of the matter. What's really the problem? So I coach screenwriters, I coach creators, so they don't necessarily always end up being screenwriters. Sometimes they're just writers. And nine times out of 10, they're not writing because they're afraid of something. Afraid of being judged. Um, afraid that they don't know what they're doing. And that manifests in multiple ways. As a matter of fact, I have a... Um, a whole masterclass that I do about what writer's block is and several things that show up. And so, for example, um, the productive procrastinator. I don't want to write because I'm worried that it's not going to be good enough. That's my fear, right? That's my inner fear. I'm not expressing that to anybody. But the way it shows up is I got to do the laundry. I got to take care of my three-year-old. I got to go grocery shopping. I got to cook. I got to clean the house. I got to walk the dog. So now you're procrastinating. You don't want to sit down to write, right? Because you could, if, if you told your wife, Ken, babe, I got to get these pages done because I'm trying to get this movie script ready to be produced. She would probably say, okay, Ken, I got you. I got everything else. I'll, t I'll handle the baby. You sit down and write your script. But what we do is we tell ourselves, I have to do all these other things. And because I have to do all these other things, guess what I can't do? I don't have time to write. That's a good enough excuse for yourself to walk away from writing without feeling guilty. When really you're afraid that it's not gonna be good enough. You're afraid that you don't know what you're doing. It might not be well received. All these other things, we're really worried about judgment um, and we're worried about whether or not we as writers are actually good enough and it manifests in a multitude of ways but as people tell me and that's one of the things that discernment that's one of the most valuable things that my clients tell me they get from me is i move them past their bs when they tell i said so tell me what's going what's going on ken and they start talking and so as they start as they start to talk i just kind of start peeling back the layers of the onion with their permission, of course, because nobody's trying to feel blasted. But as they start to talk about what they really are having um, ex an experience with, then we start to look at what's really happening underneath the surface. 
Is mindset the issue? Are they feeling like they're not supported? Where is this block coming from, right? And based on where the block is, then there are specific things that we can do to address it. So, so, so what have you seen after you, uh, that block is moved out of the way? Does the story just flow out of these people that you're working with? Um, is the next step now structure? You know, you have to figure out the techniques of writing and you begin right. to see the story flow out. So could you speak to that? That's right. Absolutely. So once we get people past their fear of writing, because and, 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 and by the way, it's not it's not your fault that you feel this way, because I don't care what you can find. No shortage of blogs and even quotes and all this mess that tells you writing is hard. All you have to do is sit down at the computer and bleed. And I'm like, it's not. It's not. It's really not. There are two reasons we don't write. One, we don't know how to write. And two, we are afraid to write. So once we get past the fear, the next thing is the process. There are steps. There is a way to approach writing. Writing is much more scientific than it is creative. The creativity comes with how we apply our special sauce to the formula. But every, every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Every story has to have some protagonist, some antagonist, and some obstacle or some conflict. Those things don't go away. It, and it doesn't matter what, what kind of story we're telling, whether we're doing a short, a pilot, a feature, a micro short, whatever, we still have dialogue, we've got action, we've got scene, right? We got slug lines, those things don't change. So our cake is always our cake. But like we were kind of talking offline, Ken, there are certain ratios and certain treatments for what we need to have in order to make that cake taste good, right? So rather than making, trying to make every cake like we would make mama's pound cake, if we're trying to make an angel food cake or we're trying to make, you know, ganache, we're trying to make something more fancy, we have to use different, we have to treat it like what it is, right? Dialogue is always going to be dialogue, but dialogue is treated differently based on what you're trying to do, just as an example. So yes, to answer your question, once you get past the mindset, the next thing becomes the tools. And that's mostly the knowledge, right? The process. What is the method that you should follow so that you can get from this idea that's swirling in your head to your first scene, to your second scene? And you can just kind of keep going beat by beat until finally you're at the end of your first draft. And that's what the Wordsmith Writers Lab focuses on. And it's a little bit different, like you mentioned. It's different from what the rest of the industry does because they focus solely on technique, 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 without thinking about the writer as a person. And the reason that the Wordsmith Writers Lab goes into mindset so heavily is because everything that comes onto the page that you attach your name to must come through you. So if you can understand who you are and you feel comfortable as an individual in that writer's chair, then you give yourself permission to show up and put your words onto the page and put your thoughts onto the page because 
ultimately every story in the world, whether it's an autobiography, a biography or anything else is a reflection of how we think and, and the way that we feel about the world, right? And so when we feel comfortable sharing our perspectives and we have the methods by which to do that within this format called a screenplay, we're unstoppable then. So um, talk about, and, I, I, and I've just recently learned this probably like two years ago, the difference between a log line and a synopsis. I always thought a synopsis was, you know, a log line. Um, to, two totally different things, two totally different um, end goals. And could, so could you, for the listeners, could you explain what those two things are and how um, they can use them to, to benefit themselves? Absolutely. So the funny thing is that I'm going to give you a definition of a, a third document. It's called a one sheet. And a one sheet means something different in the screenwriting process versus when you start talking, talking about film distribution. So for all of our diehards out there, I am not talking about the one sheet for film distribution, which is that movie poster. Okay. When we start talking about our script, our one sheet is a synopsis plus our log line, plus a little bit more information. Right. So now, you know, what a one sheet contains, it contains those two things. And I've got a, um, a whole free template and guide. I'll talk to you about that later. Maybe you can offer it to your listeners, Ken. But in any case, your synopsis is a very high level. And I mean, at the highest level, breakdown of what you want to have happen in your story. So you'd let us know what your primary, your central con conflict is. Um, you let us know who your protagonist are, is, who your antagonist is, and the central conflict or the main problem that they're, that your protagonist is going to face. So you summarize act one, act two, act three. And I'm talking like maybe three or four sentences. Your synopsis should not go past 500 words. If it does, you're too, you're too detailed. Um, if it's much shorter than 500 words, like 150, 200 words, just being, you know, I'm, I'm, be, I'm glazing over a lot of detail, obviously. But if it's too short, that means you didn't include enough information. So between four and 500 words is kind of the uh, rule of thumb that I follow. And again, it's a summary, a high level summary of what happens in your in your story by act. So if you're doing a five act structure, because some people do five acts as opposed to three, then it's a summary of those five acts. So what happens in the beginning? What happens next? Then what happens in the middle? And then how you resolve it. So beginning, middle, end. Think about it that way. Your log line, though, is maximum 25 words. Imagine that. I went synopsis, 500 words. Log line, 25. So I'm not good at math, so I'm not even going to try to give you a ratio there. But you can see that's a lot less landscape to kind of, that's a lot less ready for that plane to take off. Your log line is meant to give a two, it's like an elevator pitch. If you got 30 seconds to tell me what your movie is about, that's all your log line is. It's not the same as a tagline on Netflix, but it's very close to it. And that formula is the who, what they want, and what the stakes are if they don't achieve it. 
So I'll use myself. We're going to create a log line. Eunice is a screenwriter who needs to be on Ken's podcast. And if she doesn't, she's going to miss her opportunity to get her message across to tens of thousands of writers across the world. That's a log line. Now, it's not a, it's not a sexy log line, but that's the, that's the basic formula. And people really struggle with log lines because it's hard to, they say, how do I take 120 pages and pare it down to 25 words? You take out a lot of fluff. You take out all the fluff. So it's just who is your story about the primary person? What is it that they need and what's at stake if they don't get it? That's your most primary formula for creating a log line. But that log line, especially when paired with your title, gives you so much information about that movie. And it helps producers decide if they even want to be bothered. For example, if you have a comedy about X versus a drama about the same subject, some people want comedic content, some don't want comedic content. So when you take your genre and your title and your logline and your synopsis and you put all those together as one document, you now have what's called a screenwriting one sheet. And that one sheet can be used to safely share your story with the world. Yeah, when I learned about log lines, it changed my world because when I was making my, I was shooting my feature, Sincerely Brenda, and when people would, people would ask me about it, and so many filmmakers that I know, mm-hmm. and I used to be guilty of this, we, first of all, we all think that everybody is gonna, you know, care about our film. <laughs> because <laughs> we love it so much and so people don't. Don't, people don't care like and so that when i learned about log lines instead of having this long flowery like explanation of my characters and st- i'm like this is what it is that those 25 words i give them a sentence and then they would say oh that sounds pretty cool so so tell me more mm-hmm. about that character that guy and now i'm free i can like yes. talk about it you know i still don't give them too much but then That's I, right. I, I let them ask me. So now let me, I'm going to segue into your writer's challenge. So you have a 14 day writer's challenge. And so I'm sure you're going over, you know, these things, story structure, script, you know, the language of film yes. and, and all this and story. And so talk about your, your writing challenge and what that is for people that may be interested in, that are listening. Yeah. So the first month, the first Sunday after the new year in January, we are kicking off the, our very first 14 day screenplay challenge. And the format that we're focusing on is the short film. Now there will be a 30 day challenge that will focus on feature films. And I, I can go into why I chose the 14 days in the short film later, if you'd like. But during that time, we're talking first and foremost, there's an entire um, pre-work section that focuses on the mindset of the writer and the writer's life. So finding the time, getting past our own obstacles that we place in front of ourselves, finding our support system, developing the schedule that's going to support our practice, helping us to develop our writing practice. So imagine you get just like five lessons on just this kind of thing, mindset and creating a writing practice. And then we go into what the difference is between a short, a feature, and a pilot. Because like we already talked about, yes, they're all cakes, but the ratios of flour to sugar to to butter and whatever, I don't even know what goes into a cake. 
But with all those ingredients, the ratios are different depending on which one you're trying to do. So we talk about what the difference is between them. We talk about the goal, which is to complete their short script up to 15 pages and what it's going to take from the setup all the way to that final where we get to type the end. And the goal here is to not just write a, a script in 15 days, in 14 days, because you can write it in less time. But the goal here is to write a, pardon my French, a kick-ass short play. I'm sorry, short screenplay in 14 days or less. Now, um, prior to this kickoff of this challenge, I've taught, um, we, we taught our first Movie Maker Mondays inside of a movie theater um, in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago. And I like to create immersive experiences that don't give us enough time to be scared or we can be scared, but we know we got to do it anyway because the clock is ticking. And so the 14 days, every day there's a lesson. We talk about dialogue, we talk about structure, we talk about flashbacks and monologue and exposition and action and conflict and tension, all the things that go into story. So every day you're learning, but every day you're writing. And if we say 15, 15 pages, 14 days, you're writing just a little bit over one page a day. So you don't even have to take a long, you know, you don't have to commit a long time out of your busy day to be able to say, I can write one page, right? What's one page? It might take you, if we're the slowest writer and we procrastinate and we, you know, we, we dilly dally, we twiddle our thumbs, it still might only take us an hour to write that one page. Even if we feel stuck, right? It, it, it shouldn't take us more than that one hour to write a page. So if we're, if I'm telling you, Ken, if you want to write a short screenplay, give me an hour a day. If you say yes, then you'll have your short film by the end of those 15 days or 14 days, actually. And you will feel so proud of it because you didn't just throw it together. You really put a lot of thought into every single aspect of what that short, short play should look like, screenplay should look like. And you feel good about it at the end of the day. So um, I don't have a few more questions for you, but this is this is one that I wanted to ask about. Um, just in film in general, you hear them say, you know, it's a visual medium medium. And so it's yes. show it, don't say it. And I'm always asking myself when I'm writing, I go back through my scenes and say, how can I show this and not mm -hmm. say this? You know, and so for, for someone listening that says that just seems too hard to do. Like, do you have any tips or, or strategies that you use to make it easier to show it and not say it? Yes. So one of the things that I like to teach people to do, and this is a freebie, um, use your scene as another character. So if the room you're sitting in is another character, that character is going to speak. And what would they say? So now their dialogue doesn't look like words. It looks like what did you put in the room? Is it a dark room? Is it a light room? Do we have a clock, which always indicates that there's some sense of urgency from a time perspective, right? Who's in the room? Are these people happy? Are they not happy? How are they receiving the main character? So your scene gives you all that dialogue, but it's not words that have to come out of somebody's mouth. So if we use scene as another character, then we give them 
the right to say what they need to say. And then our actual physical speaking characters kind of play with the scene. So if we interact with, and that's the way that we are in the real world, we are in a space and that space gives us all the clues that we need to understand what we can and cannot do. So our scene creates some constraints for us, right? So we never walk into a room and, not, and don't read the room. That we know if we feel safe, we know if we want to leave as quickly as possible, we know if we want to take our coat off and kick our feet up, we know whether or not we want to take our shoes off, should we keep our shoes on, oh, they got roaches, I'm not sitting down on this couch, right? Our scene tells us that, and nobody actually has to say, don't sit down in Eunice's house because she has roaches and her dogs sit on the furniture. You don't have to say that. When you walk into a space, you know through the smell whether or not it's a clean house. You can look and see visually, is it a clean house? So when we write, we have to let our scenes do the same things that a scene does in the real world. It informs us about what we can and cannot do, what we should and should not do, whether or not we should feel comfortable. So anything else that that you see, you know, you have going in the future that you want the um, Wordsmith Writers Lab to 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 do in this world? Um, what are some of the th what, what is that? What are some of those things that you want to share with people? Well, sure. So one of the things that we did during the pandemic of 2020 is um, talking about vision and, and needing it to be big. Um, I'm like, I want to do a panel. Everybody was doing virtual panels, right? And God's like, nope. I'm like, okay. So it went from a panel discussion to a full-blown filmmaking competition that focused on screenwriters. So taking them from script to produced film, because I didn't want to do the run-of-the-mill screenplay competition where we read it and somebody gets $1,000 and now what do they do? I wanted to solve the problems. Remember we talked about people not really understanding how to tell good stories. And the other problem from a filmmaker perspective is not understanding the production process. So I didn't want to say, give me a good script and I'm going to give you $2,000 or $5,000 and now you go figure it out. I wanted to create um, an opportunity for them to learn because one of the things, again, is empowerment is about having not just the knowledge, but the tools and support that allow you to go from where you are to where you're trying to be. So over the course of 14 days and I don't know why I do this 14, 15 day thing, but I believe in not dragging my feet. But from August 14th to August 29th, we did a competition where they had to, all the writers had to do is give us a 90 second pitch about who they were, why they were, why they should be selected and they were in. And from there, they had to develop a concept based on a theme and they go through this, they went through all the steps. We came down to three final writers and all three writers got a chance to direct their five minute short one day film shoot full um, produ professional production crew full um, production editing the whole nine yards we even scored their films and we are now getting ready to um put their films up on the it's a short platform but the reason that i bring up the flip the script filmmaking competition is because that was an opportunity for brand new screenwriters to see the full production process 
to work behind the camera as a director, to interact and interface with a, a professional production crew. Like most people don't know what happens after you write a script. And I wanted to expose them to that, right? So that's what the Flip the Script filmmaking competition did, but it also is the world's only screenwriting competition that transforms screenwriters into filmmakers in 15 days. It, does, it doesn't exist in the world. Um, and it was for our screenwriters. It was for black screenwriters, not the whole world, but for us. And I was very intentional about making it an opportunity for us, by us. 99% of our crew um, was African-American. And I want to say at least 80% women, black women, and we made it happen. Now, the reason I bring that up is because we're looking to do this again in 2021. And, and by the way, the, the 2020 season was all self-funded. So this was all coming directly out of my pocket. No grants, no loans, no payday loans. I was just eating ramen noodles all summer <laughs> to make this happen. <laughs> and we're looking to do this because that's, that's what's important to me is not just the beginning of the process, but the entire pipeline is so important to me because it does us no good, Ken, if we have a thousand great stories and we don't know what to do with those great stories, right? We've got to understand the entire production pipeline. And my mission in, in empowering and activating 1,000 writers requires us to also activate and be, begin to interface with producers and directors and cinematographers and casting directors and all the other production roles that are necessary in order to bring a film to life and get it out there into the world. Um, because it's time for us to raise the bar. This is my personal challenge to all of us. We've already proven that we know how to get movies out to Amazon and Netflix and YouTube. We've done that a thousand times over. It's now time for us to raise the bar, but I'm not just presenting that challenge without a solution. I want to be part of the solution to helping filmmakers or screenwriters carve a path in the filmmaking industry by providing them education and connection to everything that they need to go from script to the silver screen. That's beautiful. That's, that's the perfect way to end this. I think Thank um, you. this has been very informative and um, eye-opening as well. And, and for those of you listening, writers, filmmakers, I hope that this was inspirational for you. You got some um, nuggets that you can actually take back and start applying to some of the scripts that you're working on already. Um, but we want you guys to um, reach out to Eunice Smith. And um, Eunice, how can they reach out to you and utilize your services, those that are looking for help to write writing their screenplays? Well, the, the easiest way is to um, I'm, I'm on all social media platforms and I I'm responsive. I do have a team that supports me in terms of posting social media content, but I personally respond to every direct message, every email that I get. Um, so I'm at the wordsmithwriterslab.com. That's the website on Instagram. I'm at script underscore sister um, on Facebook, it's just Eunice Smith. You can search me by name, send a friend request. I also have a business page and the business page is a lot different from my personal page, if you will. So it's not like I'm just recycling content between the two. Um, yeah, but I but also by email, right at the wordsmithlab.com. I'm very accessible and I like to be accessible 
because I like to help people see that just because you have a business doesn't mean that you have to be hands off to the world, you know, because affecting people and impacting people and coaching people means that there's a level of um, personability that should be always a part of the formula. And that's really important to me to touch people. So I'm very accessible through social media, script underscore sister on Instagram, the wordsmith writers lab also on Instagram and Facebook. And then email is always a good way to reach me as well. Eunice, thank you so much. I'll make sure I get all that in our uh, show notes so you guys can follow those links, um, support and reach out. Definitely. Um, this has been this has been a great episode and I look forward to keeping in contact with you as well um, and, and utilizing your services myself. So <laughs> it's for sure. So thank you so much. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.